Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Product Marketing Life podcast, brought to you by the Product Marketing Alliance. I'm your host, Mark Cassini, Product Marketing Manager at Jobber. Every two weeks, I connect with PMMs all over the world about a product marketing topic of their choice. Before I intro this week's guests, I need to add a disclaimer that during the recording, I was and still am recovering from a bout with the flu. You've probably noticed I sound a little different than usual, so apologies for that. Despite being under the weather, I just couldn't miss the opportunity to chat with my guest and get this episode out the door. On this week's episode, I'm joined by Andrew Hatfield, founder and marketing strategist at Deep Search Strategic based out of Brisbane, Australia. Andrew has over 25 years of experience working across startups, enterprise, and government. Fanatically voiced of the customer-driven, Andrew focuses on solving problems customers really care about. A data-driven go-to-market specialist, Andrew has a track record of launching new products, scaling startups, building teams, and turning businesses around. Andrew is a product marketing ambassador for Australia and an expert in residence trainer, and now founded DeepStart Strategic, a market fit consultancy that helps customers find message market fit. When he's not growing revenue, Andrew enjoys the subtle tones of Islay whiskey, low and slow barbecue, and snowboarding. During our chat, Andrew and I explore the concept of message market fit. Andrew provides a very clear overview of what it is and how important it is for product marketers to help their company get it right. He also gives very practical guidance on how to evaluate message market fit and how to identify when your messaging may need updating. Before I get into the episode, I've got some exciting news to share from the Product Marketing Alliance. Are you wondering how to align the product marketing function at your organization? Do your internal teams have little or no understanding of what product marketing is and the benefits you bring to the fore? Are you sick of being misunderstood? Product Marketing Alliance's brand new book, Misunderstood, features first-hand knowledge, techniques, and case studies to help you demystify product marketing, elevate the function, and gain the recognition you and fellow PMMs deserve. Learn how to effectively communicate the value you bring to key processes such as positioning, personas, segmentation, OKRs, and gain supplementary intel from the likes of Privy, G2, Hotjar, Intercom, Zendesk, Adobe, and Drift. Misunderstood is packed with takeaways that'll propel the value of your role and the overall importance of the PMM function and isn't to be missed. Get your copy at pmmalliance.co slash misunderstood. That's pmmalliance.co slash misunderstood. Hey, Andrew, how's it going? I'm good, man. How are you? I've been better, as we said before, coming off a bit of a cold, but still happy to be here with you nonetheless. I'm glad we're able to, to make it. Thanks for having Michael, me. Really appreciate it. I'm super happy to have you here. Well, let's get into it then. Can you walk me through your career journey so far and what brought you to founding Deep Star Strategic? Sure. Well, I, f- I find it interesting in product marketing. There's lots of different paths. I actually started in tech. Uh, my parents owned software businesses. I uh, started looking after their IT infrastructure. I spent a long time in various engineering roles. I was a, a developer for a while. Um, you know, moved into architecture. Uh, and then um, in terms of, you know, working for customers in projects or in the channel and then vendors uh, across SME, mid-market, enterprise, even public sector before moving into pre-sales and then sales. And I've always really been fanatically customer-focused and obsessed with what problem are we actually solving, whether it's tech, or sales, or, or now in the product marketing uh, arena. And so when I was looking to do more, initially I was thinking about product management and I really wanted to be part of building something and uh, something that like people can use that, that makes a difference. And so a hiring manager who ended up being my VP, he at the time recommended 
why don't I take my skills of understanding customer problems, sales, um, and that whole go-to-market and apply them in product marketing? And yeah, look, I'll be honest, it, it took a little bit of back and forth, but it kind of just clicked. And then I get to combine all those different aspects together, you know, business strategy, growing product lines. And then a few years ago, it kind of all came together. I started doing some external work and it took off, right? And so uh, for me, like I really want to make a, a lasting positive impact like at scale. And I see all of these great startups and teams and products that just really, they don't get the sort of exposure and growth that they really should. And so now I get to help them. And that's how we we got to, to Deep Star Strategic. So it's, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, it sounds like quite the the journey. And I appreciate you sharing that with, with myself and the listeners here. I, I do have a follow-up though. I think often when we think about people coming from, especially like hardware or technical backgrounds, we think, oh, well, that person must be very detail-oriented, very logical, very no-nonsense type of person. And I'm curious how, if you find yourself to be the same way and how that gels with stepping into the world of product marketing, which we tend to kind of be a bit more of a balance between that, you know, logical, detail-oriented side of things, but also the creative, more marketing side of things. Have you found that that experience from the hardware technical perspective has helped you as a product marketer or has there been a bit of adjustment in making the jump? So two points there that for a long time, there was always this fear that, well, I'm only good in the the tech arenas that I've had exposure to. And like, am I you know kind of limited to that sphere? And it's a little bit of imposter syndrome to, to get out of that. But the the skills really are transferable and, and work in lots of areas. And I've been able to prove that. So that's that's really good. I think I bring a kind of a, a logical and, and almost scientific approach. I really like systems to the where they aid and assist the outcome rather than being a project in and, and of itself. Um, yeah, look, I am naturally not a creative person, but I am good with words. I do like to write. My visual design, um, although I am always humbled whenever I work with a designer, has certainly significantly improved over the years. I think it's kind of like a, a muscle, right? Like the, the more you use it, the better you get. Um, but, you know, it is definitely something that I've, I've learned from that that certainly visual side. But in terms of the, the copywriting, um, like I still work with professional copywriters, um, but in terms of the strategy and the thought process and the, the construction behind that, um, you know, that's just ever improving and the gap between like those you know, really pointed, you know, creatives and, and the work that I've been doing is, is getting smaller and, you know, the, those iterations and the, the back and forth gets uh, less unclear and uh, shorter. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. I was, just, I was curious. Cause I think again, when we talk about product marketing, we often, you know, talk about this idea of the art and the science or sorry, not the, yeah, the art and the science uh, of it. And I, you know, based on your background, I, I figured you would lean a little bit more into the science side of things. So I, it's, you know, interesting to hear you kind of balancing those two worlds, especially coming from, as you said, a very technical, very kind of process oriented background. So thank you for sharing that. Um, all right. So on to my next question here, you know, I'm curious, often within the PMA, we talk about product marketing communities, primarily North America and Europe, but what does the community look like in Australia where you're based out of? Yeah. So I remember speaking at uh, product marketing Alliance summit in 2020, literally two weeks before 
everything you know changed it was uh march and i was just amazed like honestly at how many product marketers we had in australia at the time uh, just at that event so i think you know in in two words really strong uh considering the size of our market um you know how small our population is and just the sheer distance and those time zone challenges between us and europe and the us uh, there's a surprising number of senior product marketers in australia and the number of uh, startups like we're really trying to build that startup ecosystem in um, you know, brisbane sydney and, and melbourne in particular um, they're hiring product marketers they see the the value they want to do it early um, and it's not just local startups although most people have heard of like atlassian and zero uh, safety culture canva uh, great success story um, but we've got a lot of global product marketers in australia as well like uh, Adobe, Microsoft, you know, there's TikTok and Facebook, uh, TripAdvisor, Dropbox, um, you know, eBay, like they all have senior product marketers based in Australia doing global roles. Um, and that's that's really refreshing to see that the the view is um, I can get the, the right skills regardless of location. And so, uh, yeah, Brisbane, Sydney and Melbourne you know, dominate that, but there's still some in some of the the smaller capital cities, um, but yeah, like the, the East Coast, um, we're we're doing all right. That's great to hear. Yeah, I've I've always wondered because, like I said, a lot of what we talk about or what you see in the PMA or really in other product marketing or I think any kind of specialized communities, there is that focus of North America and Europe because that's where people assume that's where most of the people are or the opportunities are. And it's it's really great to hear not only some of the examples that you listed, but I'm sure a number of other companies that are you know hustling in, in Australia looking for strong, passionate product marketers. And as a result, that community will only continue to grow. So thanks for sharing that. Like I said, kind of my own personal curiosity, but I'm sure many listeners curious, maybe even considering opportunities in Australia for themselves, making a bit of a, a move because, you know, as most people know, it's a beautiful place. A lot of, I'm sure, fellow Canadians would love to escape the cold winter months uh, and spend some time in Australia for work. Oh, look, absolutely. Like the Australia is an, an, is an amazing country. When we're not on fire or in a drought or drowning from flood, it's great. And right. just, you know, stay away from the spiders. Yeah, absolutely. Shift gears ever so slightly into the meat of our conversation today. And I want to learn a little bit more about what you do at Deep Search Strategic, because I think it'll be a nice segue into what we came to talk about today and this idea of you know message market fit. So when clients seek out the help of Deep Search Strategic, what are they most often coming to you for? Yeah, so this has been evolving. You know, historically, potential clients have most commonly reached out because they're wanting to run more effective campaigns or launch new products and brands, or, or even do competitive analysis. Um, so often, you know, we'll, we'll run a quick workshop, diagnose the, the root of their problem and discover you know, their growth goals. And, and it's almost always a, a problem with positioning and, and messaging. And so as we've grown, we've become known for, for storytelling and, and narrative design in particular, and using those to you know, significantly help you know, our customers with their messaging, they go to market for effective and, and faster growth. And, you know, I think that really highlights how challenging this idea of telling effective stories that resonate with your customers or your broader audience um, and this idea of, of message market hit really is to achieve. You know, I've spoken to a number of guests who either on their own or have created entire agencies 
that focus specifically on this area within product marketing because it, it is a real hard thing to achieve and to do effectively. And, you know, as we'll get into a little bit more, we'll kind of discuss why that is the case. Um, but as you said, like the fact that these strategic has able been able to grow and have clients come to you um, for this need, I think really just highlights that it's not as easy as, you know, sometimes we make it out to be. Oh, look, it, it's not telling a story is not just sitting around a campfire and, and, you know, pontificating about the good old days, right? Like it, it, it is very deliberate back to our comment about, you know, structure and processes. There are, are ways to build stories. And um, in the end, it's got to be about your customer. You know, we often use, you know, that narrative design structure of what's changing in the world. You know, what are these new rules? How do you need to, to change to be able to adapt? And what does a winner look like? What does a loser look like? And, oh, by the way, we can help you get there, right? It, it, it's almost like a um, an afterthought, right? Uh, a lot of time that we spend educating our clients is helping them educate their market. So, yes, everyone talks about product market fit and absolutely you need that. And you know, product marketing has a massive uh, part to play in that. But you know, our view is product market fit is kind of irrelevant if I don't get message market fit done right first because it doesn't matter how great your product is if no one sees it yeah i i can't agree with you more there andrew and i think that's a perfect so into my next question here you know as you and i both mentioned i think most product marketers are very familiar with this concept of product market fit but i think message market fit is a little bit harder for some product marketers to clearly define and, and really orient around so can you explain what it is and, and why you feel it's so important for businesses long-term success to really nail message market fit sure look i think to begin with, certainly pretty much everyone's heard of product market fit, although I would suggest that we don't have a clear way to define it that's universally understood. You know, you often hear examples of that Mark Andreessen quote of like, you know, like it's selling fast, you're, you know, getting awards, you know, you pick up the phone and money falls out, right? You know, that's nice. <laughs> there's, a little, there's a little bit more nuance to that, like going back to like there is some science in terms of growth rates and, and net dollar retention. But similarly, that message market fit, like there's some clear stakes in the ground um, really to, to help you determine if you're hitting that right message. And message market fit, like it's always there and those things, but I think a lot of people just don't think of it in the same label as they do with product market fit. Like that's got a lot of press. Good product marketers and you know senior marketing and product people, they get this thing but maybe don't know that it's called message market fit. And so uh, things like, uh, like how do you know that you're, you're hitting the right message? Um, you know, clarity, relevance, value, differentiation, like uh, Pep from, from Winter makes this super clear. Like they're just really good labels to, to use like um, metrics. Like from the audience's perspective, do I understand what it is that you're offering? Is it for me? You know, what do I get? Why is this different? Like even now, like for as, as old as marketing is, people still talk about, I need to be better. It's like, no, no, you need to be different, right? And this this big contention. And so um, I've always found that, especially through the use of, of, of good storytelling, that great messaging, it can forgive some product apps. Like it, it's not like a get out of jail card for, for everything. You still need a product, still needs to be good. But maybe if your messaging is just a little aspirational and sets this bigger vision that people can buy into, well, maybe if your product only does nine out of 10 of those things, you get a little bit of forgiveness because you've set this, this um, path. And so 
great messaging really helps to bring your audience to your product. And this is where product market fit and, and traditional marketing like really shine. Integrating messaging and, and product marketing, like those traditional deliverables into your, your product journey for activation and retention, right? But more importantly, you know, if, if your messaging is a miss, it doesn't matter how good your product is. Because as I mentioned before, like no one's going to see it. So, you know, additionally, if if you improved your messaging by 20% versus 20% improvement in your product, your ROI on that message market fit improvement is going to be orders of magnitude more impactful than, than a product improvement because more people see your product and, and you get the chance to, to show them all of those good things. Um, you know, and, and more importantly, like two big changes have, have occurred that like really changed this game. Customers have not just more access, but more readily available access to, to information than, than ever before. Like we talk about the internet, but, you know, I remember going to the library and reading encyclopedias. Now I can get multiple viewpoints from just about unlimited sources. And the second one is the rise of the buying committee. And so that's fundamentally changed how customers buy. You know, most of the time, they're evaluating and, and disqualifying you before they have even like officially engaged with you. If you look at like your CRM or, or marketing uh, automation tools. So if you think about customers are really only in the market for about 12% of their buying journey. And then once they are, it's like this red ocean, there's blood in the water, it's super competitive. And most of the time, customers diagnose their problem incorrectly. Right, and so you know that's the 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 interesting other side of there's more information than ever before. How do I know? Right, it's like as a layperson, how do I know that one personal trainer is better than another? I'm not qualified to make that decision. You both look good on the web, right? And so if you spend your time getting the message and your message market fit right, and invest in category awareness and, and demand creation, then you're the one that is that's educating the customer. And, you know, they spend about 79% of their buying journey in that I'm kind of aware, but I'm not ready to do anything. It's kind of like that dog on the nail. I know that it hurts, but it doesn't hurt enough to, to get off the nail. And so, you know, when they do, you're at the top of the list. You know, there's this common example of there must be thousands, tens of thousands of different CRMs. But when people are evaluating them, they think of HubSpot and Salesforce and maybe two others that might be industry specific. Um, and for those, you know, uh, on the ball listeners that that worked out that those percentages only added up to, to 91%, what happened to the other nine, uh, hit me up after and I'll tell you where it went. Right on. Yeah. And thanks for giving that kind of very detailed overview of a really message market fit and the, the importance of it. And I think it's going to be a lot of help, uh, sorry, really helpful for a lot of listeners who, or maybe making the case internally as to why, you know, maybe existing messaging needs to be updated, uh, why, you know, the importance of ensuring and, and how we measure whether or not it's resonating with our audiences. And, you know, well, <clears throat> in my next question, jump to how we can actually measure whether or not message market fit is, is actually being achieved. But before we do, I, I wanted to kind of track back on something you mentioned earlier. And this was this idea that, you know, really good messaging can sometimes make up for gaps in product and kind of allow the user to, to forgive you in a way. I'm curious though, how do you strike a balance between going to market with, with um, um, you know, messaging or a story 
that kind of makes up for some of those gaps without leaning too far into over-promising and under-delivering. Is there a way for you to know, or is there a point at which you can say, okay, maybe this, this is as far as we should be going with this story before we're actually starting to sound like we're not able to deliver on what we're actually telling here? Yeah, good question. And, you know, I think the the biggest pushback internally is is typically going to be uh, your, your product management teams that struggle the most with this t- kind of, of messaging. So I would say that um, your messaging, it, it always needs to be true. Right? There's no forgiveness for being untrue. What I'm talking about is if you can craft your messaging in such a way that you're talking about the value that customers get as an outcome because of the benefits you deliver, that type of storytelling allows you to paint a bigger picture and this worldview that's opinionated about why you think things need to be different. Where I do see that, you know, your example of of messaging going too far is if your messaging is very feature function focused and it's not about the customer or the outcome and it's about you and you're saying, uh, some particular feature has some amazing outcome and it, it doesn't, like that's where you get yourself into trouble because that's untrue. There is a, an actual significant delivery gap. But if I'm telling a story about, you know, the world has changed, like you talk about the subscription economy or how customers buy or, um, you know, the the shift to, you know, electronic vehicles or electric vehicles, sorry. Um, right? Like these are, are fundamental shifts or, or the way that, uh, fintech is changing the way we do payments. Like there's an undeniable shift there. And, and if you can connect all of these pieces of that change and what that means to you, okay, you, you might only today deliver on, on some of that. Right? I remember one particular project, you know, it was a, an artificial intelligence startup. Intrinsically, they were a, an IT storage company, but the way that they took that quite innovative, but honestly simple, almost always is the way, right, Um, solution and package the layers of the the functionality for the customer. And then this story we came up with of just treat your data like code, right? Like we had this list of like nine or 10 things that we said like to to be able to do this, you need to to meet these these criteria. But we were upfront and said, look, today we only do seven, but this is where we're heading. This is what we believe is necessary to achieve this, this goal so that you can you know, grab these benefits. And it resonated, right? And it, it, we never got questions about, well, what about these other things? They were just blown away by the different thinking and how that related to them because there's no one else in the market that was talking like that. And so that, I think, is the, the example of where you can get forgiveness. Yeah, I think that makes a ton of sense. And I appreciate all those examples you just provided. Um, like you said, it's not necessarily about talking about specific functionality or, or, or um, you know, pieces of the solution that you as a product marketer just know aren't there. It's about focusing on the outcomes. Um, and, you know, the the kind of analogy that comes to mind for me is almost like the aspirational nature of a lot of like sports marketing, especially when there's focus on a specific celebrity, right? Like, you know, Nike's yeah like Mike campaign when Michael Jordan was, you know, the, the, the greatest exactly basketball player, the same thing. Right? right? Like they didn't say, Oh, you know, buy these, you know, Jordans and you're going to, you know, slam dunk from the three, from the free throw line or, you know, score a hundred points in a game. It's no, you're play like Mike, be like Mike. Yep. Um, and, and, you know, consumers and the audience can look at that and be like, yeah, I, I want to play like Mike. Like I want to, I want to be like him and not necessarily look at a slogan that says, you know, score 
hundred points and be like, well, I'm never going to score hundred points. That's, that's garbage. Um, so, uh, you know, it's, it's almost like that aspirational nature needs to come through your, your messaging in the story, because that's what people can actually cling on to and, and associate themselves with. Yeah. And just as you're talking about that, like, definitely, I remember, you know, the, the be like Mike campaign and, you know, I played basketball for one year at, at school. It was a sport. I was not a basketballer, but I remember that. Um, and I've never thought about this in, in these terms, but as you were talking about, I often find horror movies, for example, hilarious. I don't find them scary because often I find that the storyteller makes the mistake of explaining everything, right? You see the gruesome death and you go, oh, well, that wasn't so bad. But if they're being killed off screen and it was my imagination or like, you you, you know, um, I remember the, the original It um, movie series, that was terrifying until you saw the ending where they just turned it into some terrible CGI bug. And I'm like, uh, well, that's just destroyed it all. So I think there's that's kind of like two sides to that storytelling of you want to lead people to the right place with honesty and um, uh, authenticity, but also you can use that like imagination. Don't give them like everything. You need to... and. and as I'm saying this, I realize it's a bit like sales. Like you don't tell people what their problem is. You lead them to uncovering it themselves, right? And I think there's a lot of uh, analogies and, and similarities there where um, you're helping people on a journey, right? That's what stories do. You're not giving them, this is, you know, raise your left knee and push your left hip forward and now lower your knee and now repeat on the other side. Like you're not doing that granular level of, of movement you're assisting them on this journey of discovery that they take. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's fantastic. So when you're working with a client, how do you help them assess whether they've actually achieved message market fit? Yeah, good question. Um, this is where a lot of those scientific, you know, product marketing foundational skills and, and tasks come into it, right? So yeah, first off, we look at historical metrics and, and review win-loss interviews if they have some, uh, conduct some ourselves. Then we look at competitors and alternatives. And by that, we mean competitors are often who the vendor thinks they're competing against. And the alternative is who their buyer is comparing them to. Sometimes, as you know, April Dunford talks about, that's that's the intern with the spreadsheet, right? The status quo, right? Uh, we want to talk with, with product, with marketing, with sales teams, and see how we're translating, you know, value and differentiation. Um, and, you know, we strongly recommend with, with customers that you know, conduct a specific message test with uh, a cohort of what the customer believes is their ICP. And what we consistently find is, is so often the customer, what the, what the customer thinks is their ideal customer profile isn't who's actually buying and, and we discover that through the messaging and so sometimes it's it's working in spite of itself not because of which is actually a good thing because it means that you can expand that serviceable market and you can expand things or you can get laser focused and like really drive into something and so you know often we end up you know going through this storytelling and, and narrative pro design process um you know typically it's we do a lot of prep and then it's a half day to a half half day to a day's workshop. We always make sure it's offsite, like out of the office. Even if you're working remotely, let's as much as possible get people together, you know, um, geographic distances uh, not included. Um, and 
what we want to do is align all of these different units. And so, you know, it's really just marketing, right? But um, core business identity and brand, like what's your reason for being, what's the solution offering and go to market, just make sure all these things are aligned. Um, and then, you know, we conduct message testing on on the now updated ICP with the new story before we roll out the first campaign. And one of the reasons we're so big on, on testing the message is I can get some answers in a week talking with a, a cohort of actual target customers, or I can spend six to 12 months in market burning a whole heap of cash running campaigns and doing creatives. Which one is more effective? Um, and I think the most rewarding feedback that I've had going through this process is, you know, this small startup that just raised seed funds, um, they were bootstrapped, they were profitable, they had this great product, have this great product still going. Um, and like there was three founders, they're really good. They, they had done a great job, they had a, a good MRR and they recognized that they had gone as far as they could go themselves. And so they reached out and said, hey, Andrew, can, can you help us? And the head of engineering is like, ah, now I understand the value of marketing. And because of this, this storytelling framework and this narrative design that we, we took them through, they realized, well, I'm not actually solving this problem. I'm solving this other problem. And I, who I thought my, my user was is not, it, it's somebody else. And they've now even gone to the point of that clarity and realization they have reprioritized their backlog as well as you know how they're approaching some of the the ways in which they're solving problems and so you know, whether you not you call this business strategy or marketing or messaging like just bringing all those teams together and having this very clear and concise and coherent message of why are we here what's the problem we're solving why is that problem worth solving and who are we solving it, solving it for like now like they've just gone and hired uh, I don't know, 15 people, and they are super excited, right? And so um, that's that's great. And like, they're growing. Thanks for sharing those, you know, that specific example and, and those very helpful, I think, guidelines. Um, you know, I always love talking to people who can provide the listeners with a very, like, tactical, hey, these are the things that you need to do or these are the things that, you know, we've done that have worked. So thank you for sharing that. A couple of things that you said that I really want to kind of double back on and and, and really focus in on. The idea that, you know, when you're working with clients, that you're taking them off-site as much as you can and kind of having them as a separate experience go through this process. I think oftentimes as product marketers, because we are so embedded across all these different teams, I think sometimes, you know, obviously there's a huge benefit to that, but in a way it can almost be like a, a disservice. I think there's sometimes a benefit of either having someone from come from outside, or if, you know, maybe your organization can't afford that or, or doesn't want to go down that road almost approaching it as if you were coming in from, from outside and, and having this, you know, Hey, we're going to step outside. We're going to have this view and I'm going to come to you as if I'm not Mark, you know, the PMM that you've been working with for the past six to 12 months, however long I've been at the company, but as this like outside person with this perspective and this process and these frameworks that we can apply to really have this, like, not as unbiased of a view or perspective on this as we possibly can, I think is super helpful. That was one of the big things that I remember when I worked at an agency very briefly earlier in my career was even just going through this process was so eye-opening for a lot of founders or, or just members of the core leadership team, because it's clear that although these are things that they they knew and they had the answers to all the questions, 
they had never been asked those questions before. And it really forced them to take a step back and think critically about, oh, what are the problems we're solving for our customers? Maybe before we came in today, we thought it was this, but after talking as a group, it's it's actually this. And I think to your point, like just getting out of the office physically as, as, as you know, as crazy as that might seem after the last couple of years, um, can make a big difference in that. So I wanted to focus on that real quick. The other thing I just really wanted to touch on that I think is super important for product marketers to remember is how critical this kind of work is and how closely it relates to things like your business identity, like your brand, like your broader solution offering. If all of those different things aren't aligned, I think, again, you can get into this idea of working away in a room by yourself as a product marketer or with a couple of you know cross-functional stakeholders. And then doing the work coming back to the broader group and just feeling like it's it's so disconnected from what everybody else is doing or what you've already got in market. And all of those things need to be, especially if you're going to go through a change, need to change together. Um, you know, I, again, in various stages of my career, I've gone through this process and I've made the mistake of doing positioning and messaging independently and coming back and just, you can just tell it does not land with not just people internally, but externally as well. Uh, and you really need to have everybody involved, but also do it in the context of how does this tie back up into our identity of who we are as a business, our overall brand, the solutions we're bringing to market. So I think that's an important thing that I just wanted to highlight because I, I think you, you really touched on something that a lot of product marketers need to hear. So thank you. No, that that's all right. I think it's like, I've made this mistake in the past. Like, I know, so I'm going to do, and here you go. And, uh, you know, we're all young ones. Um, hopefully, <laughs> while we get older, we don't stay stay young and dumb. Um, but, yeah, I kind of think of it as that, you know, Hugh Grant, Tony Collette movie of, of No Man is an Island, that you need buy-in from others. And, you know, to, to that earlier point of one mistake we did make early on is because we knew that particular space well, because of you know, our background was in tech, it was a tech client, we really led that workshop. And uh, while I think in the end we still had a good outcome and, and we did bring people in, I think we we did too much. And so one of the learnings from the, the earlier ones was really, yes, we need to do research and understand that particular market segment, but we are facilitators and we tell them how the process works. We're, we're ever adjusting and 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 fine tuning it because you know it never stays the same. Not every customer is the same, but it's it's a repeatable framework that we facilitate, and that's certainly not just had better outcomes, but but faster. And um, yes, it is often challenging coming in as a. Um, an agency, we really do need strong sponsorship. Um, we always say, look, we're not here to take your job. We're here to help augment things, make things go faster, add some capability, add some capacity. Um, and most of the time it, it, it's a founder or head of marketing that that sponsors the engagement anyway. It's, you know, yes, you know, that whole dark funnel thing of, you know, people, it might be a product marketer, it might be a, a demand gen person that says, hey, we should, you know, talk to these deep star folks, they, they seem to be doing good stuff and it, it bounces around, but the the outreach and the the, the sponsorship comes from a senior person. And we always say like in a, a workshop, there needs to be, yes, great collaboration, but in the end, there's one person that makes the, the decision and we always push for that to be the, the founder or CEO. Take your inputs, but you're the lead, you're the captain. That makes a lot of sense. And, and speaking of this idea of, 
you know, you making some mistakes earlier on in the process and then making some changes and making some shifts. This idea of markets shift, you know, things change over time, customer needs evolve, dynamics within a given category can change. So does the messaging you use to establish message market fit ever also need to shift or change to adjust to those, you know, changes in market or changes to customer needs? Oh, absolutely, right? So whether you follow this process or some other you know, messaging framework, that you should always be revisiting messaging and, and maybe even positioning at least once a year, if not twice. Because I can guarantee you that your competitors are not standing still and hopefully you're not. And so that you know, your messaging should update and reflect not just what's happening in the market, but what you're building. And what you're building should be reflective of the direction that the market's heading. So there's this kind of, um, you know, interconnected, you know, weave, right? But you know, these things don't don't happen in isolation. You know, buyer journeys are not linear. They don't move up and to the right like the the hockey stick. And so, you know, especially you know, as I just touched on that that change in how people buy and the rise in the dark social and dark funnel, and you don't you're not just needing to speak you know, to the challenges and, and aspirations of the user, the buyer, or the influencer, and the, the champion, but you need to enable those people to share those messages internally with their teams as well. You know, snackable content, you know, educational, something to, as you said, like tactical, like what can I get value from today? There's no point in having this massive message. And I remember, you know, from a, a sales role we had, I was working at one large software company and you had this automation product. And historically, you could never in that market, the only way to get value is if you had implemented it everywhere and you'd done everything and you could only get any value at the end. And so recognizing the difference with this particular product and those learnings, I'm like, yeah, don't have a big project. Just weave this into the things you're doing now. And man, did I sell stuff, right? Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. And you know, speaking of shifting messaging, how can a product marketer identify when the market has shifted and therefore the messaging must shift with it? You know, maybe they're not on a, hey, we're going to take a look at this once a year kind of cadence, or maybe it's in between those periods of time and there's some grumblings, those are things changing, and maybe some numbers are looking a certain way, but they're not sure, is this an anomaly or is this time for us to update our messaging? How can a product marketer kind of approach that situation? Yeah, definitely. So this is, you know, product marketing, I'd say 201, right? That now, there's lots of different types of product marketers, but certainly working with your product team and, and with your ideally demand team, right? You know, you want to look at some you know, leading and, and lagging indicators. So, um, you know, product teams along with you, you constantly need to be in touch with your customers and, and target audience. You know, if you're making significant changes to your product, that's often a great hint that your messaging needs to update, be updated as well, right? If um, in your loss interviews, you know, for accounts you think that are highly qualified and 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 you consistently hear that they feel that the product wasn't for them, you've probably got a messaging problem. Um, again, we, we, we highly recommend regularly testing your messaging. And this could be through focus groups, targeted test campaigns, and obviously, as always, talking to customers and, and ideal prospects, right? Um, some more obvious signals might be you know, a rise in your customer acquisition costs or a drop in trial signups or other low barrier to entry um, things that are killing conversion, right? From, from say trial to, to sign up for that, that SaaS, right? Or as customers are moving 
uh, you know, from a, like, let's say it's a PLG motion, you know, they're registering, but they're not activating or they're activating and then they're not becoming a power user. Like, look at these different stages in, in your particular adoption journey and see where things change or where there's room to make iterative changes that have significant impact. And also keep in mind seasonality, right? You know, a lot of people, they look at, um, say, November, December and go, oh, our leads dropped off. It's like, yes, everyone in America is on holiday. That doesn't mean your machine is broken. Yeah, thanks for those, again, very practical tips. I think a lot of times product marketers, sometimes they're maybe a new hire and they think, okay, one of the first things I'm going to tackle is our positioning and messaging, our story. And I think based on what you just said, there are some very clear indicators as when it's actually necessary to go down the the, the path of, of you know, reevaluating things. Um, so thank you for that. Because like I said, it's very easy to get excited about projects as being someone new. What's more important is realizing after having been at somewhere for a while, oh, hey, these numbers are indicating that maybe something's broken. I'm going to step in and I'm actually recommend a solution. And I think that solution should be, you know, our, our, our reevaluation of, of how we're positioning and messaging ourselves in market. So, so thank you for sharing that. That's right. Awesome. Well, listen, Andrew, this has been a fantastic conversation despite my illness, uh, you know, interrupting us a couple of different times. So I appreciate your patience with that. Um, and before I let you go, I, I do want to ask you my final question, which is again, one I ask all of my guests. And that's if you could be a product marketer at any company in the world for any product or service they offer, what company and solution would you choose and why? Oh, well, that's, that's tough. Obviously, I'm biased. I'm going to say DigiStar Strategic because we're working with cool customers, doing some fun things. Um, but if I was if I was looking to be an employee in a, a great role, things that I'd recommend, product-led growth is a, a growth model because you're going to learn some really strong and in-demand skills that, that work across other growth models as well, so transferable. Um, you'd want to be in an organization that's led by by founders or uh, senior executives who get marketing and empower their go-to-market teams. Life is too short to, to work for someone who just doesn't get marketing. Um, cut those ties, you know, stem the bleeding and just make a decision. Um, look for something that has a strong, serviceable, addressable market. You don't want to always be fighting. Sometimes it's nice to work in a place where you win um, and more importantly, find something that solves a problem that you can get excited about. Because yes, in the end, it's a job and you work to live, you don't live to work, but why not enjoy it? So that's no, I think that's very. I yeah, I think that's very helpful and very practical advice. Again, uh, yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more on really all of the above. You know, I, I really like this idea of, you know, it's, it's not a bad thing to work at a company that that's winning and has a strong serviceable available market. I think, you know, a lot of times some of the, you know, maybe most exciting opportunities or, or at least on paper seem to be exciting are the ones where you're the challenger brand. Some people you're really excited by that um, because of the inherent, you know, risks you can take and, and challenges you're, you're faced with, but there's nothing wrong with, with taking the, the job of the organization that's already on top and doing great things because often there, there are perks of that bigger budgets. Again, you get to try different things in, in different ways than you would if you're going to challenge your brand. So um, yeah, I, I like that, that one specific piece of advice. Cause I think it's one that's not often heard. Um, so thank you for sharing that. That's right. And I'll just add that. I think when we talk about, you know, that, that winning company, it's, doesn't need to be that category leader, like the big behemoth, right? It can just be a fast moving, growing um, startup, right? And by growing, I don't just mean in headcount, I mean in 
actual users and revenue. So look at the metrics. Yeah, absolutely. If anything, in the past several months has taught us that there are certain metrics that indicate whether or not a company is healthy and there are ones that don't. Um, so it's important to know what those ones are yeah. and, and what to ask uh, in an interview to assess what those metrics might actually look like and what the person interviewing can share with you. I mean, Definitely. yeah, and to your, and to your point uh, as well, um, you don't necessarily have to work for the, the biggest names in the space, but the ones that are winning with their respective area of the market, right? There's nothing wrong with working with a, a player that might be seen on the outside as niche, but within their specific slice of the of the market, they are doing incredibly well because they found a solution that really resonates with their customers. Um, and yeah, they might not want to or intentionally choose not to take on the big guys because they don't need to. They've got a, a base that works for them and they're succeeding. So yeah, I just wanted to, to double down on that last piece, but, but thanks yeah, again for- for those practical uh, tips. Um, awesome. Well, like I said, Andrew, this has been great. Obviously, I'm sure our listeners have already, you know, uh, come to realize that you're very knowledgeable in this in this space uh, of you know message market fit and how critical it is, how to evaluate it, when to know whether it's time to 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 make a shift or a change. So again, thank you so much for sharing all your insights and again for for being patient with me as I struggle through this lasting cold here. Um, but before I let you go. If anybody wants to get uh, reach out to you, maybe to ask you some questions about message market fit, maybe even to explore an opportunity to bring on Deep Start Strategic in a more professional um, relationship, what would be the best way for them to do that? Yeah, look, uh, I'm easily found on, on LinkedIn. I, I try and, and share quite a bit there. Uh, even dabble on Twitter, at um, Andrew Hatfield, or feel free to, to email me, you know, Andrew at, at deepstartstrategic.com. So happy to, to take questions, love you know working with the community, and, uh, you know, whether we work together or not, I think it, it's more important that we just grow this this section of the market and, you know, everyone gets better. What a great note to end on. Thanks again so much, Andrew, for your time today. Not a problem. Loved being here. Really appreciate the time. Thanks very much. For everyone still tuned in, thanks so much for listening. And if you enjoyed the podcast, please help us spread the word to other product marketers. Before we leave you to get on with your day, if you want to get involved, here are a few ways you can. If you're a product marketer and you want to come on the show and speak about your day, a specific topic or your role in general, that's one option. If you want to flex your podcast hosting skills, being a guest host is another. And finally, if you or your company want to sponsor an episode, there's a third. Thanks again and have a great morning, afternoon or evening, wherever you are.